Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Now, but anyway, great to be with you. It really is. And I think about your church more than many of the churches that I go to. That's because my son plays in a football league against your church. So, um... He's under 14s now. Every year till now, it's been fun, but I'm really sorry. His team, Harefield United, have ruined the under 14s league by hardly letting in a goal and winning all the games. So if your son has been disappointed, I am so sorry. I think they'll go and do something else soon. And uh, my son's the goalkeeper as well. So if he stopped your shot that was going in, just imagine it went in and the goal rippled. And, but it's really great. And I have to say, what a ministry that is, to have, uh, to have that many people playing football together and in that way. You have provided through this church and others, an opportunity for kids who otherwise would have given up on church to still play football and not have to make a choice that no eight-year-old should have to make, Jesus or church. Why not do both? It's absolutely brilliant. And if you've got a kid who's sporty and you want to encourage them to do more to do both, the greatest ministry that's helped me and my family is Christians in Sport, where you meet a load of amazing sports people who really love Jesus, and it helps see that two go together. Anyway, that's not what I'm here for. I don't know about you, I find it annoying, unintelligent, somewhat crass, dare I say opportunistic, for someone to use their sermon to advertise their ministry. However, I'm just feeling you want to hear a bit about the EA. So I'll talk about the EA for a few minutes, then move on. Is that okay? So the Evangelical Alliance was started in 1846 with two aims, to unite the church in reaching the lost with the gospel throughout the UK, and secondly, to give the church a clear and effective voice into every layer of society. More than 175 years later, they're still our aims. We long to see people in every part of the UK come to know Jesus. And we long to see the voice of the church spoken up and spoken out together. We want to be good news people in an increasingly bad news world. But we need to deal with that evangelical term, don't we? It's not redundant, but it does need redeeming a bit. It only really means four things. One, we believe the Bible's the inspired word of God. Stop changing scripture to baptise culture. And start changing culture with the truth and the pages of the Word of God. Secondly, we believe the death and resurrection of Jesus, single most important thing in human history. Thirdly, we believe in the need for conversion. You don't come to faith by osmosis. You get on your knees and you meet your Saviour. And fourthly, we believe in the need to be active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. It's what evangelicals uh, led the abolition of the slave trade. In recent years, have come up with and delivered Christians Against Poverty, food banks, street pastors. And another thing about being an evangelical is an acceptance. No one part of the church will change the UK on its own. Within our membership, there's over 18 networks, denominations, or streams who are desperately trying to make Jesus known and trying to do it together. And here's the thing as well, friends. (coughs) We're living in an exciting time. I really believe the ground is ripe for harvest. But I also believe the church is being called out to show that we're brave enough and strong enough to say, do you know what? This is who we are. We want to be influencers, not the influenced. And we're a membership organisation made up of 3,000 churches like this one, 500 organisations and about 22,000 individual members who say, let's come together to make Jesus known. I say to anyone here today, go deep in your postcode, love your place. Do not be distracted from your front line for Jesus, but be connected to the national story. Then if you've seen this, but within our culture, often the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. You know, the most noise is made by some of the smallest groups in our culture. And yet actually we need to say, we're here as the church and we want to help and we want to serve and we want to make Jesus known. And so we've got access at the moment to the corridors of power like we've not had in living memory. 
We're meeting all kinds of people in all kinds of places and able to take the church's voice in there to speak up on some really hard issues and to speak up on some times just to say this is what the church is doing. And what I find time and time and time again, the culture is not against us. They're illiterate of what we do. And so, so often we're dealing with unintended consequences and we're trying to help and say, this is why we're here. This is what we're for. And we want to keep speaking with one voice. And it's good to give an example of what difference that makes when we do that. My favourite in my time at EA was when the government said they wanted to offstead all youth work and Sunday schools. Do you remember that? <coughs> it's a bonkers suggestion. Public regulation of private religion. Whenever I moved to Saudi Arabia, I mean, this is it's an incredible infringement on, on our rights. How could you have a faith illiterate culture assess whether we're discipling our kids well? It doesn't make any sense. It's an absolute infringement on religious liberty. So we went into the corridors of power, said on behalf of all our membership, there's no way you can do this. And at least for now, it was kicked into the long grass. Why? Because we speak with one voice and we speak up. And going forward, friends, we will be a brave and kind EA. We will be brave when we need to be. We will be compassionate with people when we need to be. But we will not back down from contending for the spiritual future of the United Kingdom. And what we need is more and more people to stand with us. I'm delighted this church is a member. Remain a member forever. It's important. But we live in an increasingly individualised culture, I'm sure you've noticed. And so we're often asked, how many actual individuals stand with you? And individual members is currently the access to the corridors of power. So we currently have 22,000. We've set a target to get to 50,000 individual members. Why? That's the same membership as the Liberal Democrats. Bear with me. We're not a political party, but if we had that many members, a new Prime Minister would ring me, not the other way around. In addition, for everyone signed up, there's an acceptance. There's 20 or 25 not signed up. So 50,000 individuals would equal more than a million people. We've also got 3,000 church members. That's well more than a million people. We're then at the sort of place at which we can speak into the culture and say, hang on a minute, guys. This matters. This is important for the church. We need to be able to preach that Jesus is the only way to God. We need to be able to do what we feel Scripture tells us to do. And we need to also be able to keep transforming society to be more like the kingdom. So friends, I just guess I ask you, if you're not a personal member, would you just become one? It's not about money. It's three pound a month. It's a cup. Of, it's not even in Amersham. Goodness me. Remember you, where you are, Gav. It's not even a cup of coffee a month. It's the same price for an individual or a couple. If you're married, don't even check with your spouse. Sign up as a couple. It counts as two when I go to the Equality and Human Rights Commission this week. But friends, would you stand with us? Would you join? And would you be part of that 50,000 so the voice of the church can be heard so we can keep uniting in mission and speaking up? And if you do, I'm going to give you a present. Why? I like you. Why else? I've said to my board, I'll do at least another decade of this. Do you know it's really hard leading the EA sometimes? I'm a proper Marmite figure. <coughs> Lots of people hate me. They tell me very kindly on uh, social media. We need those that, that want to be part of this Good News Alliance. We need those to join us so we can move forward and go forward together. In this, I'll give you whatever you need. If you need a kidney, I can help one of you. But in this box... There's a copy of mine and wife's latest book, Unleashed. We'd love to give you that. There's a copy of a resource. I think this is really important. Speak up. We did this with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. Too many Christians get their understanding of where they can share their faith from the media. I don't know why we do that. There are over a million faith-sharing moments a week. There's three or four stories in the media a year of it going wrong. Friends, do not let the media tell you you have not got freedom to share the gospel. The law of the land says we have more freedom in this nation than any other nation on earth. People say, well, how do I not get in trouble at work? You honestly want a tip? Talk about Jesus more. If you talk about Jesus once every blue moon, that's proselytizing. If you talk about Jesus all the time, it's a protected characteristic in law. Your, your faith is as protected as your ethnicity, your sexuality, and your dignity. 
you need to talk about Jesus more, then you're getting less trouble. It's great, isn't it? Finally, in this box, I've got this. If this doesn't swing the deal, I'm out of ideas. It's an EA key ring. Bear with me. This bit at the top's got a logo on. It's a fake detachable quid. In our increasingly cashless society, when you need a supermarket trolley, happy days. When you need a locker at the gym, you'll be grateful you joined the EA. All I ask is each time you use yours, would you pray the three things I pray each time I use mine? I pray that the church will be united in this nation. I pray that the voice of the church will be heard effectively in the corridors of power. And I pray that together we've made Jesus known. Let's pray, shall we? (coughs) Lord, I pray you'd forgive me for overselling in your house. But you know how pure the motive is, even if the method is perhaps a tad South London. But Lord, as we look to the years ahead, we just pray your church will be united. We pray that we would be one, as you prayed in John 17, that the world might see and the world might come to know you. I pray, Lord, the voice of your church would be heard effectively in the corridors of power, locally, nationally, and internationally. And I pray that together we'd make you known. And Lord, as we turn to your word now, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to move amongst us. And we just say, Lord, have your will in Amersham in our day, we pray. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn it on or open it up? We're going to Acts 28. If it's any help, it's page 965 in my Bible. And we're going to go, I'm going to speak for most of the passage, but we'll just read the last few verses from verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I think too often we misunderstand what we're here for. We have the wrong information that leads us to the wrong conclusion. If you have the wrong information, you can get yourself into trouble, can't you? I uh, live in northwest London, a place called Northwood, just a few stops down the Metline, and therefore I don't need a car most of the week. I need a car on a Sunday when I go to preach somewhere. So I hire a car every Sunday, that's just for context. We go to Europe car, we hire a Corsa, and yet they give me the best they have, which occasionally isn't nice, other times it's very embarrassing when you park a 80 grand yellow Mercedes about nine streets away from a church, so they don't think you're sort of preaching prosperity. But anyway, completely different issue. <coughs> Today it's a Skoda, so that's okay. But that's just for context. And I was driving to Birmingham to preach, and I stopped at the Warwick services for a coffee. I went and I got my coffee. I got back to the car. I went to reverse the car when a big white police van with blue flashing lights pulled up behind me to stop me reversing. Two coppers got out of the van, whacked on the front window, told me to get out where they could see my hands. I got out of the car. They said, where did you get this stolen car from? I said, Europe car. They said, where are you going? I said, to preach in Birmingham. Now, I had the paperwork, and as you can see, I dressed like a history teacher on a Sunday morning, so... I don't look too threatening. We diffused the situation. Then I asked them what had happened. They said it had been falsely marked as stolen on the national database. Four ANPR cameras had gone off between my home in Northwood and the Warwick services. When I pulled into the services, a warning went out for any police within 10 minutes to come and apprehend this car thief. (laughs) Do you know my greatest relief is that I actually stopped. Can you imagine if I'd gone straight to the church, turn up to preach and get arrested? (laughs) If you have the wrong information, you come to the wrong conclusion. Now, you're doing a Make Disciples series, and I think the wrong information on making disciples sometimes is that it's about me and my discipleship and not actually about me and reaching other people and making disciples beyond myself. It's about multiplication and addition, and it's about working with those outside of the church. 
And I think for too long, we have believed it's the work of someone else to reach the lost. We've over-professionalized evangelism. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we thought larger than life, in your face, big mouth, storytelling communicators. I can't imagine the type. And we have thought, they are the kind of person. They will do it. But I'll tell you what, friends. Any Christian with a pulse is part of the Lord's plan for disciple making. It's part of the Lord's plan in this moment. Chapter 27 ends with Paul reassuring people they'll be safe. And God gets Paul safely to Rome, paves the way for the gospel to go forth in the most influential city in the empire. And I just wonder, do we have the faith that God wants to do this with us today? You know, Acts is the only book in the Bible that ends really abruptly. Other books end neatly, it ends abruptly. It's got no confident or clear finish. And that's deliberate because Acts isn't finished. The book of Acts finished at 28, but Acts 29 has been, been written by the church ever since. It's a really long chapter, by the way. But we are part of writing Acts 29 today, continuing the work. It won't be concluded until he returns. It continues till the Lord comes back for his people. But friends, in our day, that means we need to be the missionaries. We need to be those in full-time Christian service. This is not about who works for church or this or that. This is about if you love Jesus, then your life is full-time service for him. And therefore, we need to get on a limb for him and serve him in the places he puts us. And I think in this day, there's three things that matter to us from this. And the first is in the passage. We need to look wider. We need to look wider. I think there's a call in this day for all people. The Lord is after all people. Not just those that look, sound and smell like us. He's after all people. Within our communities, he's not just after the people that we can easily reach. He's after all people. The Lord is after the lost And the same God of the early church, the same God of the book of Acts, the same God of the current revival in China, that same God is here with us right now. And I think some of us need to extend our prophetic imaginations for what's possible in him, with him, and through him. And I also think we're living in a time where the Lord wants to break our hearts for people again. I was at the parliamentary prayer breakfast, which is not as exciting as it sounds, (laughs) But a load of MPs and a load of vicar types gather in the House of Commons and pray, and that's great. And I was at the last one, and I was with a few MPs and stuff. But on my table, I was next to an Iranian pastor. He's fled here, come here with asylum, because his life was under threat, because he was leading too many people to Jesus in Iran. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world, by the way. You know, whenever we think we're under pressure, just look at where the church is growing, and you think, wow, okay. And I was talking to him, and um, he said, what can I pray for for you? I said, could you just pray we'd see that kind of church growth here without the persecution? So he starts to pray in Farsi. And a few lines in, he starts to weep. His instinct when praying over the UK is to weep. I'm so deeply challenged at that moment because if I'm honest, I'm broken for the UK. But when did I last fall to my knees and just weep over those who don't know Jesus? (coughs) Five days later, I'm at a church leaders gathering I'm speaking at. And there's a Ukrainian church leader there. If you're over 55 in Ukraine and you're a church leader, you're allowed a week out a year for spiritual retreat. He'd come to this conference. He starts explaining to me that war is good for church growth. His church was under 100 before the war. It's now over 1,000. He says, what can I pray for for you? I said, can you pray that we would see that kind of growth without the need for a war? He starts to pray in Ukrainian. After a few lines, he starts to weep too. Friends, I was so broken that week. 
feels like the Lord has reminded me, we need to weep over those who don't yet know him. We need to start with compassion. We need to get a wider vision of, of who the Lord wants to lead to himself by weeping over those who don't yet know him. You know, right now, life is hard for everyone. But can you imagine not having Jesus? The secular narratives aren't working, by the way. All the things we were told to put our faith in and would work out, every secular narrative has never felt as thin as it does at the moment. And yet the depth of the Jesus story has never changed. And so right now, friends, I think we need to ask the Lord, break my heart for those who don't know you. Break my heart for what it would mean to be a sheep without a shepherd in this moment. Throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has empowered the church to spread the word. And they've seen a geographical spreading. Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria to Rome, basically the ends of the earth in their minds. And from there, it continues to spread rapidly in the coming centuries as the Acts 29 church lives out. And it's in unexpected places. I think part of going wider is asking the Lord, where do you want to use me? Not, Lord, can you use me where I am? Where do you want to use me? Where do you want to place me? What do you want to do? My experience of of walking closely with the Lord is he is full of surprises. (laughs) He takes you to places. You know, I, um, I love the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you love that in Acts 8? At the start of it, he's ministering in Samaria. And I saw new wine advertising here earlier. New wine's great. My wife, Anne, and I ran a youth work there for 10 years. It's a brilliant thing. But Samaria in Acts 8 is new wine on acid. It is greater than any conference you've ever been to. There are exorcisms, healings, salvations. It is the place. If you need to raise money, if you want to make people aware of what you're doing, you send your TikTok videos from Samaria and everyone will get very excited. But Philip gets told by the Lord, go from Samaria to the desert to meet a eunuch on his own. Makes no sense. But the Lord sees things here. We see things here. And so Philip goes to the desert, leads the, the eunuch to Jesus. The eunuch becomes the first person to take the gospel to Africa, the most on fire continent for the Lord today. Friends, if we want God to do things wider, we're going to have to trust him that he's got a better plan than we have. But also we mustn't listen to all the loud voices around us. There's loads of loud voices around us that will stop us, that will tell us to do less or do it different. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. He was ministering in London and he felt really broken for the, the street people, as he called them, the least, the last, and the lost, the broken people everyone had forgotten. He wanted to reach those people. He went to this large Christian gathering. Back in those days, the men and women sat separately. The women were upstairs on the balcony. The men were downstairs. He went to the front to speak to the bishop. He told the bishop what he'd been feeling. He asked to be commissioned to go and work with the least, the last, and the lost. The bishop said in front of everyone, no. You are not to waste your gifting and intellect on the lost and the least. You are made for better. You are to use your gifting on the gifted people, not the least. No. Booth turns around, tail between his legs, not knowing what to do. He's given up. Then Catherine Booth breaks all the rules. She's not even supposed to speak in that hall. She comes to the front of the the balcony. She shouts over the front, William, stop listening to men and start listening to God. If God's telling you to do this, I will go with you. I am for you and we will go together. This isn't enough for William. He doesn't move. So Catherine really breaks the rules. She comes downstairs. She goes into the men's section. She grabs William by the arm, drags him out the front of the building and they start the Salvation Army. Friends, sometimes we've got to look wider and it involves not listening to the naysayers and and those others around us, but actually listening to the Lord and what he has for us. And sometimes to do something really exciting, all you need is someone else crazy enough to say, yeah, I'll go with you. Or yeah, I'll pray for you. Might this, Lord, in your name, might this be a church where people do outrageous things for your kingdom and someone else is crazy enough to say, I've got your back, I'll go with you because we want to look wider. But then secondly, 
we really do need to be bolder in our day. <coughs> I don't want to go into detail about this, but um, last year, the Church of England were wanting to change all kinds of rules and laws around what's for various things that didn't seem to help with Scripture. And it was very unhelpful what that would mean for the rest of the church. We at the EA don't tend to write about particular denominations, but I felt in the end I had to say something because no one was. So I did a very public piece that got about 100,000 engagements in a day through Premier, EA and others to say, please, Church of England, please just stick with a biblical model of marriage and don't take us all down with this. When you do those sort of brave moves, it's difficult because you get slaughtered. So I got five to 600 messages of hate that day on social media. People praying all kinds of things over my children. Or, or my favourite one to use in training of others, at Gav Calva, you are the scum of the earth and are going to burn in hell. Hashtag, love wins. And I remember that night, I was in my lounge and I was in my lounge with my wife, Anne, and we were just sat about and I was feeling sorry for myself. And Anne is lovely. She's godly. She's kind. She's pastoral. She's compassionate to everyone but me. <laughs> and she sits there and she tells me to stop being pathetic. And to pull myself together. <coughs> she says, your brothers and sisters are losing their lives for having a Bible on the other side of the world. And you're scared of a few secular humanists. Sort yourself out. And actually, friends, I do think we need a perspective check, really. Because when we think of what it means to be brave, it's not that big a deal. It's actually an opportunity for us to step up, stand up and see God do some stuff. Because right now in our culture, as I travel the UK, I have never known so many doubters starting to believe I've never known so many people I thought would never be interested in faith asking questions. If you're on um, what apparently used to be called Twitter but is now called X, then you will have noticed Richard Dawkins in the last few weeks. Some of the stuff he's tweeting, I mean, I honestly think he's on a journey. And you start seeing around us, the doubters are starting to believe, but at the same time, I've never known so many believers start to doubt. And we as the people of God need to be bold enough to say, do you know what? Life might be hard, but I turn my eyes upon Jesus. I look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of the earth look strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, Paul never uses his circumstances as an excuse to not live for Jesus, to not talk about Jesus, to not serve Jesus. He just keeps going regardless. He's sharing on Malta in verses 9 and 10 after a shipwreck. People are saved and healed. In Rome, in verse 17, he's arrested, he's in prison, and he's still sharing. After three days, he calls the leaders together and he shares again. And in verse 28, he's still going for it. It's like there's this overflow. No matter what was going on, Paul was always sharing about Jesus. In contrast, I know I can so easily give up. Friends, I think the time has come for us as Christians to step up and be bolder and speak up more loudly. And we need to ask for boldness. People aren't born brave, by the way. We sometimes think some people are born brave and it's not me. They're not. You're given a chance to be brave. Bravest person for me in scripture has always been Esther. When she goes to see the king, she risks the most radical of haircuts just for showing up. He could have chopped her head off. But she goes because she needs to. Ask God for boldness. I saw something on Instagram. I'm pretty sure it's fake because of who it was attributed to. It says, sometimes faith will make you look stupid until it starts to rain. That was Noah. And how do you fuel boldness? You fuel it by walking closely with God. I get to go to some places in my job. I get to go to places, I do a bit of Christian tourism, if you like. I go to places you see on the news and I find myself in these environments. But you know what? I'm not there as a tourist. I'm there to speak up for Jesus. And so often in those environments, I find myself out on a limb. I find myself feeling ostracized. And I find myself feeling, how am I going to do this? Till I remind myself, I'm not alone. He is for me. He is with me. And he is here. 
And we need to go deeper with the Lord. When I was at school, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. So when I was at school, um, I was not the amiable gent that stands before you today. I used all the things that the church loves about me, going against the status quo, standing up for things others wouldn't say, being bold and brave. I used all of those unredeemed to cause problems. You know, God takes what you have in your locker and uses it for his glory. But if you choose to use it not for his glory, you get into trouble. So at school, I had an interesting time. Princess Margaret was coming to my school to open a new building. Me and the two other kids that got in the most trouble got invited to the head teacher's study. We went in and he said, we would like you three to welcome Princess Margaret to the school. We couldn't believe it. We were the least likely. What an honour. What a privilege. We were told a teacher was going to take us into the back car park so that the locals didn't realise she was coming and we had to discreetly welcome her to the school. We were so, so happy. We were well behaved. We even wore our ties that day. We were so excited. After an hour and a half, she hadn't come. So I said to the teacher, where's Princess Margaret? When's she coming? The teacher said, Princess Margaret has been to the school, opened the building and gone again. You were the three we thought were most likely to disrupt the visit. So we put you here to be out of the way. Friends, I know some of you are laughing at my pain. When you're one of only three people in a school who's considered not worthy of meeting a royal, that says a lot about how people view you. In contrast, Tim Keller says, only a child can wake up a king at three in the morning and ask for a glass of water. We have that access to the king of kings. Friends, we have the access to the living God. Go deeper with Jesus. Love the Lord more. All the things that are out of fashion, holiness, spiritual disciplines, take them up. Go deeper. Love the Lord more. Your boldness is fueled by your walk with Jesus. That allows us to be bolder and to look wider. And then finally, we need to look fuller. We need to look fuller. Paul's bitten by a viper. Sometimes you read stuff in the Bible, right? And you think, yeah, oh, that's fine. No, no, hang on, hang on. This is like a cobra in the car park biting you after church. Nothing happens. <coughs> big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal. Someone gets bitten by a cobra in the car park, you're going to be like calling an ambulance. Paul should be seriously ill from it. He could even die. But God intervenes to show these people his power and bring about his purposes. Off the back of this, people are approaching Paul. Many are healed. Many come to faith. It's a critical element in the gospel going to Rome and the ends of the earth. God was making sure that what went forth was not just words, but words, works, and wonders. You know, I've been sharing the gospel in the UK for years, and I've been asked so many times, what's more important, words or works? No one ever says, what's more important, words or wonders? And actually, we mustn't forget, we've got, we've got the Spirit available, and we've got the wonders in our hands. Smith Wigglesworth, you know the guy people know about from history, he used to punch people to get rid of their stomach aches. He would fail every single safeguarding policy anyone's ever written. <laughs> they said when he walked into the room, people would fall over. They'd be convicted by the presence of God he carried into the room. If that's available to Smith Wigglesworth, it's available to you and I too. Going forward, I think we need a fuller gospel as we seek to make disciples. Firstly, words, words matter. There's that powerful image here, Paul as a prisoner, declaring the gospel unhindered. I actually feel sorry for any guards who guarded anyone in the early church. Because prison guards were a captive audience, weren't they? But the early church were unhindered, they kept sharing. We must remember we've got something to share. I thank the Lord for a reverse mission, which is missionaries coming from around the world to the UK. We sent them for long enough, we're receiving them. And a friend of mine came as a reverse missionary from Uganda. He'd never been to the UK before, never been on a plane before. He arrives at Heathrow Airport, gets his bags. He's got a decision to make he's never made in his life. Something to declare or nothing to declare. So he goes through something to declare. 
And he says, I declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by believing you'll have life. The guy at customs looks at him like, what? He says, I declare that Jesus died for you. And they let him in. (laughs) Friends, we mustn't forget we've got something to declare. Words matter, but so do works. Wilberforce and Equiano working together for the abolition of the slave trade. My friend John Kirby in recent years coming up with and delivering Christians Against Poverty because he didn't want people to be in physical or spiritual poverty. brings the two together. Words and works are made for each other. But then also wonders. I was a nine-year-old boy in Ishmael and the Glory Company. I'm sure others went through that when they were young. And Ishmael used to teach us the Bible through songs. It was so powerful. And I'm sat there and they said at the front, we're going to pray for healing. If anyone needs anything to be healed, let people around you know so they can pray. My friend James rips off his sock and says, I want my Veruca to go. Now, I've got to be honest, feet are minging. Feet on nine-year-old boys are even more minging. I was not going to touch that thing, but I was going to pray. And as a nine-year-old boy, I prayed for this Veruca and bang, it went. Do you know what? I don't think the Lord's given me a ministry for Verucas. Do not come and see me afterwards. (laughs) But I think he cares about nine-year-old boys having enough faith that when they're later in life, they're men, they will believe to pray for breakthrough. They will believe to. So often when I stand in some of the most hostile environments, it's the faith engendered in me as a younger person that then keeps you going. I remember in my days of youth work, I worked for Youth for Christ for years. We'd pray for self-harm scars and see them go. Because the Lord would say, you are worth more than that. And he'd restore people. It's amazing. But none of this stuff is foolproof. I helped coach my lad's football team. I referred to that earlier. And a few weeks ago, someone broke their leg on the other team. I ran over, asked permission and prayed. And I was like, Lord, this would be amazing. Because I'm the only Christian coach and my lad's the only Christian player in our team. This would be amazing. Lord, if you could do this now, this would be incredible. Absolutely nothing happened. And I was like, feeling like a bit of a fool, to be honest. In the week since, at least nine or ten conversations, why was your first instinct to pray not to ring an ambulance? Now, the bottom line is, because 20 other people were ringing an ambulance, but also because I believe in Jesus. And I believe that Jesus can do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. And so I'd rather be praying and see nothing than not bother trying. And I think the time has come for the church to say, I've got words, I'm going to share them. I've got works, I'm going to bring them. And there's wonders available, we're going to pray. You see, we're called in our day to be a witnessing people, looking wider, bolder and fuller. We're the Acts 29 church playing our part and continuing the story. We stand on the shoulders of giants before. We hand something on to those who come after us afterwards. But in our day, let's be the most effective and the most in love with Jesus we can be. Let's play our part. When I last came here, I talked about talking Jesus research that we'd done, which is the biggest research into what non-Christians think about church and and Jesus. And it found that one in five non-Christians want a conversation with a Christian friend about their faith. Disappointingly, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to go on a course And they don't want to hear a sermon. They want a conversation with a friend. We redid that between my last visit and now. And it's gone up from one in five to one in three. Because the low-level seeker spiritual temperature of the UK has nearly doubled because we've been through trauma and pain together. So people are desperately crying out to know of the hope you have. People around you are kind of like not sure where to turn or what to do. I don't know how you're a non-Christian at the moment. I don't know how it works. It's hard enough with Jesus. Can you imagine navigating all of this without the rock of ages, the unchanging one? We need to use that as a motivation to speak out and share the hope we have. Don't join in the conversation at the level you're pulled down to. Pull people up to a hopeful narrative. Hope is not a concept. Hope is a name. His name is Jesus. And right now, everyone around you is crying out for the hope that you have. And too often for some of us, we don't share that hope. 
or, or we feel it make us look superior. No, no, they just want a conversation with a friend. Everyone is crying out to hear something hopeful in the midst of hopelessness. Hope is the name, his name is Jesus. This is the moment for the church. I've believed for years that a major move of God would come to the UK. I'm not saying we're in it, but I've never known the circumstances around us to be so open to it. What a moment this could be for us. I said earlier, I'm staying at EA for a decade. I was asked to do a plan, and here's basically how I see the next decade. I think the church needs to hold its nerve theologically. Don't faff about with the, the basics. Just stay with that. But then go for it wholeheartedly in sharing the gospel. Do you know I know people that are good at one of those? I know great theologians don't know any non-Christians. I know people that want to share their faith but aren't sure what, about this stuff. Just hold the two together, go for it, and let's have a wider, bolder, and fuller outreach as we become disciples that make disciples. The church is facing an open goal in the culture. Let's not miss it. Now, you might say I'm in pain. That's true. I don't trust anyone that doesn't walk with a limp. If you don't walk with a limp, you're either delusional or you live in Disneyland. We've all got pain. But I don't know about you, I want to limp to the lost, making disciples, sharing the hope I have, because I limp with Jesus, not without him. And that changes everything. Let's pray, shall we? <coughs> People's eyes are shut, they're not, they're not looking at you. But I really do think we have an opportunity in front of us, an opportunity to see many people come to know Jesus. We're after disciples, not decisions, by the way. A decision's easy. That takes a hand in the air, but it doesn't always last. A disciple takes six or seven people working with people at different stages to, to lead them to maturity in Jesus. And I think we have an opportunity in front of us we've not had before. And I mentioned my struggles at school. Apart from PE, every school report said three words, could do better. Not even should, just could. And I wonder if for some of us, actually, it's our moment to say, Lord, help me do better as a witness for you. I'm sorry, Lord, for where I've thought it's someone else's job. Every Christian is a witness. And I'm going to own that for myself. Lord, help me, anoint me, equip me. Lord, I long to see breakthrough. Lord, I long to see hope restored for the prodigal I've prayed for for years and we haven't seen anything. I long to see hope restored for my neighbours that I've asked and things haven't happened. Friends, you're in a new day. If you've been praying for something for years and you haven't seen the breakthrough, we're in a new day of breakthrough. The landscape is different now. Everything that everyone depends on is failing them. But in the midst of that is the story of hope in Jesus that changes everything. The people around you are not looking for a sermon or a church service or a course. They're looking for a friend who will speak up and out and share hope with them. So I guess my question is, if you want to do better in your witnessing, you would love the Lord to equip you to do better in your witnessing. If you want to be a more effective witness for the Lord, if you want to make the most of this moment in front of us, I'd just love to pray for you. And if that's you today and you were just saying, Lord, please just help me do better as a witness for you. It's not about condemnation for what's not happened. It's about what could happen in the days ahead. I really believe we're living in the kind of days that could see turnaround for the UK's spiritual temperature for forever. But it's not going to happen from platforms and big mouths. It's going to happen from a mass movement of Christians saying, I'm in. I'm in, Lord, use me. So if that's you this morning and you'd love the Lord to equip and anoint you and you want to say to him, Lord, I'm in, use me. Use me as a witness for you. I'd invite you just to, to stand if that's you this morning because I want to pray for you. This is a really exciting moment for us as a church because 
Many of us will be doing this already and some of the rest of us are saying, Lord, dust me down, use me. But I'm often thought as well about how much of a difference Jesus made in the world with the youth group. Youth group of 12, by the way. They were aged 15 to 22, the disciples. And one doubted him, one denied him, one betrayed him. So only 75% of them sort of kept on straight and narrow. But that youth group changed the world. And the enemy wants us to think we're individuals, but this is a team game. Sharing and witnessing has always been a team game, not a solo pursuit. And so if we can see this as a collective, as a church, we could be an unstoppable force for the kingdom. So where one person sees fruit, let's be sharing that with others and not being jealous or envious, but rejoicing. Where one person's in a struggle, let's be weeping together. But kings, this needs to be a team effort because together we can serve the Lord. So Lord Jesus, we just say, would you come and would you anoint us today? Would you come by your spirit, spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on your people, we pray. Would you pour out now a spirit of boldness? Spirit of boldness, Lord. Not of not of fool, foolishness, but boldness. I pray, Lord, you'd give us a wider understanding of what you want to do. Forgive us, Lord, for the people we've, we've ruled out of who you want to use us with. Give us a wider vision of what's possible, Lord. I pray we would stop listening to the loud voices around us and listen to your voice. If that means we go to a desert to meet a eunuch, okay. If that means that we start do something crazy like the booths, okay. If that means actually we keep doing what we're doing, but we listen to you over the voices of the crowd, help us, Lord. Lead us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would share a fuller gospel. I pray there'd be moments, Lord, where we say, I will pray for you. And instead of saying that, we'll say, can I pray for you now? And you would do powerful things, Lord. I want to believe, Lord, on the streets of Amersham, we would see things that we've only read about happening in other parts of the world. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a bigger prophetic imagination for what you want to do. And you would use us, Lord. We thank you for those who helped us meet you. We long to be those for others. <coughs> and I pray as a church you'd help us to celebrate different steps. Not just to celebrate the yes I'm in or, or whatever it might be. Help us to celebrate some of the heavy lifting that goes on in witnessing from some of the people that do a load of the toil and don't always get to see the glory. I pray, Lord, we would see the process as well as the moment. And for each of us as well, Lord, if our discipleship needs a bit of work, we just pray there'd be someone else that get alongside us and help us in that too. Would you lead us and guide us? I'm just going to invite Paul up to pray. Because actually, I'm not here next week. Well, I'm not planning to be. This is a bit of a moment for us as a church. A bit of a commissioning moment to say, let's go for this. Let's do this together. And let's believe. I still think let's take the opportunity. That it's the start of the year still, kind of. Let's believe that this year would be a year of disciple making for us as a church. Like nothing we've seen before. Yeah, Father, so into your hands we commit ourselves. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.